Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 1st, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, the presidential field narrows, a state panel looks to cut down on boards and commissions, and a conversion therapy ban repeal in Waterloo leaves questions in other cities. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb McCullough, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. I'm filling in for Aaron Murphy, who is on a Wisconsin congressional beer and cheese tour. Uh, that's a deep cut uh, DC news joke. So if you got that one, you can go ahead and write in for bonus points. Uh, with me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton, Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal, and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Uh, so first up today, we have some Iowa caucus news. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez became the first presidential candidate to end his bid for the White House, winnowing the field to a nice, manageable dozen. Uh, Suarez said at the state fair that he would likely sus- suspend his campaign if he did not make the last week's debate stage, and he stuck to his word. So Tom, are you surprised by this news at all? And does it make sense? And what does it mean for the rest of the candidates? It makes sense. And it's not all that surprising, given what he told reporters at the Iowa State Fair, that if he didn't make the debate stage, it could spell the end of his campaign. And it has. Um, It was a long shot bid in his campaign, short lived as it was, never really gained any traction. Um, Suarez was an active candidate for the Republican presidential nomination for 75 days. He launched his campaign on June 15th. Um, and he raised only more than uh, $930,000 through June and had about $900,000 in the bank compared to the millions being spent by other more well-known and established candidates on ads and more. So he couldn't get his message out uh, and find a lane for himself in the expansive uh, field of candidates running for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. And it showed in the polling. Uh, Suarez, his average in uh, national polls of of the Republican primary was 0.2%, according to 538. And no Iowa GOP caucus goer said Suarez was their first choice in the Republican primary, according to an August uh, NBC News Des Moines Register Mediacom poll. Um, And only 4% of likely Iowa GOP caucus goers that were polled said that they were actively considering caucusing uh, for Suarez, again, according to that same poll. So not making the debate stage in Milwaukee and not being on track to make the debate stage on September 27th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California just further solidifies the uphill climb Suarez has to get noticed and to pull in donors. Um, As for what it means for the rest of the field, probably not much. I mean, I guess it's one less voice you have to compete against, but again, it wasn't that loud of a voice to begin with and not one that many GOP primary voters and Iowa caucus goers were paying attention to anyway. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> do we expect many other candidates to to drop out before the second debate? I know that um, I was at the State Fair talking to uh, Asa Hutchinson and he he was you know confident and he did make the 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 first debate stage right right by the at the end there. Um, but you know he said, even if he didn't make the first debate stage, he might stay in. But he said, you know, by the second debate stage, if you can't make that uh, field, you know, candidates are going to have to reassess their priorities. So, you know, is, do you think that's going to be a, did anybody that that's going to be a big uh, narrowing down uh, moment? Yeah, I, I think, I think it probably will be. Um, 
you know, I guess some of the candidates that I'm 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 thinking about that are out there that might start to drop off. I think of um, you know, Ryan Binkley, um, the Texas pastor. Um, he didn't make the debate stage. Um, don't know that he's gonna make the second debate stage. If that doesn't pan out, you know, I could potentially maybe see him uh drop out. Um, you know, I, I think about um Will Hurd, uh the former uh congressman from, from Texas, um, who um, you know, hasn't gotten a uh good reception from Iowa Iowa GOP caucus doors, you know, was was famously booed at uh, the Republican Party of Iowa's Lincoln dinner for saying that um, Trump was only uh, running for president to stay out of prison. Um, and I don't know that he's had much of a showing in any of the other early uh, primary states, uh, either New Hampshire or South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I, I question what Perry Johnson will do um, I wonder um, what Larry uh, Elder would, will do. Um, you know, uh, Elder has filed, a, a, I guess, a formal complaint with the RNC um, regarding how it's, um, I guess, vetting the candidates and establishing whether or not they've met the qualifying threshold to appear on the debate stage. I think Perry Johnson has also filed a complaint as well. Um, again, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do um, if they don't end up making the second debate second debate stage. Yeah, and those candidates who are still in the race and and polling a little higher are trying to keep up their momentum after last week's debate. So one of those candidates, Tim Scott, made several visits to Iowa this week, including in Lamar's and Sioux Center. So Jared, you covered one of those events. Um, did you notice anything different uh, compared to Scott's previous visits, and how was he received by the crowd there? Um, so yeah, the event that um, Tim Scott had in Lamar's, um, he was introduced by uh, Congressman Randy Feenstra. He gave a stump speech and then he uh, took some questions and there was definitely more of a um, a variance than when I saw him before. Um, when he came to Sulean Christian in Sioux City, that was just days after he had announced. And in that stop, he was really focused on just kind of education in particular versus um, in Lamar's on Wednesday. He covered a lot more ground. He did talk about education um, and in part um, went after teachers unions. But he also talked about the border, saying that we need to finish the wall. Um, since we're in Iowa, he talked about subsidies for ethanol. And um, perhaps uh, most interestingly, at least to me, um, he talked about uh, President Trump. And, um, you know, he did get into the notion of a uh, two-tiered uh, justice system, which uh, Republican candidates uh, do now when talking about Trump's legal issues. But uh, Tim Scott also scrutinized what um, what Trump has said about Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, when one of the attendees um, asked Tim Scott how he um, differentiates himself from Trump, one of the things that Scott said after listing off his um, his Senate accomplishments is that he, quote, uh, doesn't have high regard for dictators and murderers. Uh, and that it's not possible to sit down with um, Putin and resolve the conflict in Ukraine in 24 hours, um, which obviously are both references to President Trump, um, the latter one of those coming from comments he made back in July. And so, you know, after the, the first debate and even after the, the second one coming up, I'll really be curious to see if we start to see more dribs and drabs of these kinds of pushbacks 
on Trump from candidates who haven't done as much of that so far, because those are going to kind of have to come at some point if you want to differentiate yourself to voters. Yeah, I was thinking that when I saw that, Jared, that was and it's not a very strong rebuke, but it but it is kind of the strongest rebuke of Trump that I've, I've seen from Scott. So it's interesting uh, to see that he's trying to to get a little more um, aggressive on that, I guess. Yeah. Now, and then, like like I said, though, even then, you know, there's still kind of the defenses in other realms, too. So it, it kind of comes, you know, like I said, in drips and drabs. Right. Now, moving on to the state capitol, uh, committee tasked with auditing the number and function of Iowa's boards and commissions released its preliminary recommendations this week. The panel is recommending more than 100 boards and commissions be eliminated or consolidated into other boards, and the recommendation would bring the number of boards in Iowa down from 256 to 140. Now, some of those that may be dissolved, the committee said, are vacant or do not meet regularly. For others, they said that the work can be done by the state agency that they're under. Um, so, Todd, you had a column on this a couple of weeks ago. What do you think of the board's recommendations? Um, are there any surprises? Well, I, you know, first, I think the process was flawed. I mean, the, the governor appointed this committee, which includes, I think there are four people that are direct reports to her and a, a fifth member that was appointed by her. And then there's an assistant attorney general works for Brenna Bird. So uh, I, I think it's pretty clear that this was going to be a a committee that was going to, you know, do what the governor wanted them to do. They've been meeting in two members subcommittees, so they don't have to have public meetings. So if there is actual work being done, that's where it's being done. The public meetings have been fairly brief. Uh, but, you know, this committee gives the recommendation sort of a veneer of credibility as if they were, you know, concocted by experts and people that work for her. But, you know, I'd surprise, I, you know, if you get rid of boards that aren't meeting or that have outlived their usefulness, I think that's probably a good idea. I, I can't help but think in the end, though, when you, I mean, you've got some of these proposals where I think it's the uh, Health and Human Services Board is going to take a bunch of duties from various boards and commissions that will be eliminated. So I, so I think what we're going to see is, is a consolidation of power in some of the board, some of the larger boards, and that means that the governor will have more influence over over that policy. And so, it, the whole government reorganization plan that this is part of has pretty much resulted in a lot of power being centralized in the, in the governor's office. And I don't think this is an exception. I, I think in the end, that's what will happen. The legislature still has to sign off on it. I would assume maybe they'd rubber stamp it, although. Strange things can happen. There may be constituencies out there that have the ear of lawmakers who don't want to see a certain border commission go away. So it, it could get interesting, but I, I would imagine she's going to get her get her plan. Usually when there's this kind of reorganizing, I know there's pointing to like some kind of savings of some kind as well. Has there been any of that now that like these kinds of uh, reorganization plans have kind of been more nailed down? They're, they're, they're yeah. always, they predict savings. I mean, I think the whole reorganization is what it's like two or two, three, 400 million over 10 years or five years or something like that. But in the end, this, all of this stuff just gets folded into the general fund. And it's kind of hard to tell in a couple of years, whether this really saved, saved money or not. That's, I mean, we've, we've seen this with other government reorganization efforts 
efforts before in the past 20 years and it's it's sort of tough to track there was also a recommendation that uh so not not all of them and there wasn't a definition a list of them but um some critical boards be those members be compensated for their work um so that would obviously um cut away with some of those savings but i think that i think that the committee is predicting there will be some savings to this um jared one of the members of the board is the siouxland chamber vice president barbara sloniker uh you spoke with her about the board after its first meeting anything stand out to you from these recommendations um yeah she told me back in june that there wasn't a real target goal for how many boards and commissions should be either combined or modified or cut um but she did say that success for the panel would be a reduction in the overall number so by that metric this would be a success yeah, and now in a story that covers a number of Lee Gazette markets, we have some fallout from a decision last week by the Waterloo City Council to repeal a ban on conversion therapy Therapy they had passed just a few months earlier. So uh, to set a little background here, um, conversion therapy is an attempt to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. The Waterloo City Council earlier this year banned the practice, which has also been banned in Lynn County and Davenport. But after threats of lawsuit from a religious conservative legal firm, the Waterloo City Council voted uh, last week to repeal the ban in a 4-3 decision. Um, the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier's Maria Kuiper, and I, I probably butchered that name, but has she's covered all the beats. So go read her reporting if you haven't already. Um, Sarah, the city of Davenport was the first city in Iowa to ban conversion therapy all the way back in 2020. Um, have you heard any concerns about possible lawsuits directed at them? And is there any talk of repealing that ordinance following Waterloo's decision? Yeah, so Tom Barton will know more about this, but so far there's not been anything on the agendas. There's been no discussion about repealing that. Um, so in Davenport, that was, like you said, passed in 2020, August 2020. Um, pretty broad support on the council at the time. It was an 8-2 decision to ban uh, conversion therapy for minors. The focus really came on cities after a, a ban failed at the state legislature and so yeah so davenport um was one of the first was the first in iowa to uh to ban that practice for for minors and as far as i know there's there hasn't been any talk of repealing that yeah and, and tom uh, again not to not to give away the whole story here so people have something to click on but um i know you're working on a story um that answers that very question including um, the policy in lynn county and also davenport uh, what have you heard from local leaders about how this decision affects their bans? Yeah, so um, Lynn County and uh, City of Davenport officials say that uh, they have no plans to repeal or amend uh, their bans on conversion therapy. Uh, Lynn County officials said there's not been any discussion, again, about repealing, uh, amending, or reviewing the ordinance. And, um, and as similar with Davenport, there are no plans for it to become a discussion item for the Board of Supervisors. Um, Liberty Council, the Florida-based Christian ministry and law firm that threatened to sue Waterloo, says it's in the process of reviewing both ordinances. Uh, Matt Staver, the founder and chairman of Liberty Council, said that um, it may be in the process of doing something, but could not say definitively that they are, but then later said, quote, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but as of now, neither Lynn County or Davenport have received any correspondence threatening legal action over their bans. Um, Staver noted that Liberty Council was acting on behalf of a therapist in Waterloo 
who was concerned about the impact of the ordinance on the counseling practice and clients. Um, Lynn County officials said that they're unaware of anyone practicing uh, uh, the therapy in unincorporated Lynn County. And, and that's, I guess, an important note or distinction. The county's ban does not extend into cities within Lynn County, which is likely a reason why Lynn County's ordinance has, has not been challenged. Um, you know, if, you know, conversion therapy, you know, is being practiced, you know, it's, it's probably being practiced, um, you know, in, in, in urban areas. And so, the fact that um, Lynn County's ordinance only applies to unincorporated parts of the county, um, you know, some have said that, you know, it, it means that maybe the ordinance is kind of more symbolic, um, you know, supporters of the ban say that, you know, even if um, nobody's practicing conversion therapy in rural areas, you know, the whole point of the ban is to, um, you know, prevent that in the future. Um, Supervisor uh, Louis Zumba, a Republican um, who voted against the Lynn County ban when it was passed in, it was passed last year, I think it was June of last year. Um, Zumba said that he continues to believe that the issue is one best left to the Iowa legislature and is not the purview of Lynn County. Despite that, uh, Zumba said that he does not intend to call to repeal the Lynn County ordinance unless um, there's a threat um, or, or, or I guess unless there's litigation filed, um, anticipating that the political makeup of the board will only lead to the same outcome, a two to one vote that led to the ban's passage last year. Yeah. Going a little off script here, um, I don't know, maybe Todd, you can help out. Uh, I, this was a little before my time. There was so there were efforts in the in the state legislature to uh, to ban conversion therapy that did not get passed. What was what was the story there? How did that play out? Well, they I mean, I think the bill passed the House, what, like three times, something like that, twice at least. And uh, Liz Bennett, who's now a senator from Cedar Rapids, was sort of spearheaded the effort in the House to get that passed. And it, you know, it. I think it passed, like I say, at least a couple of times, maybe, maybe not, but uh, by a, a fairly wide margin. And then it went to the Senate and 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 died for whatever reason. So, um, I mean, so the, the effort's been there to, to do something at the state level. Now I don't know, given the the sort of the way the agenda, Republican agenda, has turned on LGBTQ folks whether that's still a viable legislative option or or, or not but i i don't think it got debate i don't think it did it get a, tom do you know did you guys did it get a vote this year in the house um no i i don't believe yeah. it did um and um yeah so i believe so it came up in, I know it, it came up in 2020, and Republican State Representative Bobby Kaufman of Wilton joined Senate Democrats in, in 2020 to, to introduce that bill um, that would have banned healthcare providers from administering conversion therapy to minors. Um, it provided an exception for religious groups, parents, and grandparents, but some Christian conservatives said that it would still discriminate against particular viewpoints about sexual orientation. Um, my recollection is is that in in 2020 it failed to make it out of subcommittee and and since then the issue has failed to advance in the legislature yeah i, I don't remember it coming up at all this year um there was the um 
the bill that would uh, eliminate the gay panic defense, where if you um, if somebody. Yeah. Uh, and I killed, think and yeah. I think that's what I think that's what Todd may have been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the gay panic defense bill. Yeah, um, that's yep. That that's that's what I was thinking of. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one that's been um, voted out of the House, but gets hung up in the Senate. And I'm trying to remember if what what happened this year. It, it, it well, anyway, it it, it didn't it, it it didn't end up passing the legislature, advancing this year. It looks like in 2015 it passed uh, the Senate, but then yeah. stalled. That's when the Democrats were still in control. So okay doing some live research here in the podcast. So getting a yeah. window into, into our work process. Um, well, that that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you are also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found in the pages and the websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Aaron, you're doing Yaman's work with that closing closer because I can't do it. Uh, Porch Builder will play us out <laughs> uh, this week. Uh, if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, play, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, ba- and our producer Stephen Colt. I'm just going to start that one over. For Tom Barton, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Caleb McCullough. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.